0: you will give us just a small glimpse today of the miracle worker, the waymaker, the the God that's all-powerful. No matter what's happening in our world, no matter what our needs are in our life, you are the one that works the miracles. You are the one that intervenes in nature. And Father, there are people here this morning dealing with health issues. We lift them up to you to to work that miracle. You be the waymaker. There are those seeking your your wisdom as far as direction, what do I do? Give them the direction, Lord, as you show them the way. You are the way maker. And, Father, as we, as we look at, at, at who Jesus is, it's not who Jesus was because he is today exactly as he was then. I just pray, God, that you would continue to open our eyes as we look at Jesus, the centrality of Jesus. Who he is and what he's done. And I pray, God, that you'll build our faith this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time of worship and faith building. And I pray, God, that that would build us up, that your joy and confidence would fill our hearts since we've been here in your presence, worshiping you, ascribing to you glory and strength. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Please be seated. Just want to thank the worship team. What we do on Sunday mornings, this isn't preliminaries. The worship of the living God is what we do. And when we ascribe glory and power and worship, things happen in our lives and in the heavenlies. We are a place of worship. And as we worship, the heavens are opened and we see the spiritual life go out from here. We can't see it all the time. But by faith, we know that as we worship, God has established his presence right here. So, I am Norwegian by heritage, but I try to be politically correct. So even though I'm Norwegian, I try to avoid telling ethnic jokes, even Norwegian jokes, so as not to offend anyone. So I tried, I did some research and tried to find an ethnic group that no longer exists, that wouldn't be offended because they're not around anymore, and I, I found it. They're called the Hittites. The ancient Hittites were a tribe that existed in Bible times, but were totally wiped out. In fact, up until recent history, they thought some people doubted the fact that Hittites actually were part of history. But they found evidence um, that the Hittites actually existed. So, they're not around, so that's, that's okay. So, so there were these two Hittites, Oli and Sven. Ole and Sven went fishing. They rented a rowboat and found the perfect spot and started fishing. They had to be in the right spot because they kept catching fish after fish after fish. And after about an hour of catching their limit, Ole said to Sven, we we better mark this spot. Sven agreed. And so he took out a magic marker and drew a big X on the side of the boat. (laughs) Ole said, Sven, that won't work. Sven asked, why not? What if we get a different boat next time? Now, if you need an explanation for that, I can meet with you uh, personally. Anyway. Fishing. Then there was a time only Sven went ice fishing and came back with 200 pounds of ice. Well, from the fishermen of old to the biggest catch of all times before the perfect storm, fishing has been a fascinating sport. It's been a great study. How to catch those wriggly, scale swimmers in vast bodies of water. And there's always the big one that got away. We like to tell those stories. Judy and I had the opportunity several years ago to travel to Petersburg, Alaska, where Judy was born. And Judy's brother, a skilled fisherman, took me out to do halibut fishing. How many have been halibut fishing? Not a lot of halibut around here, but you guys fish for a lot of different things. It was hell of it. We caught two 40-pound and one 20-pound halibut. It was amazing. But it was the one that got away that was the story. That's always the story. I hooked it. And after about being pulled into the water, I turned it over to the professional, Carl. I said, Carl, take this. I don't know what to do. And he had fished for years. And he, when he finished, it basically broke everything off and he said that was well over 100 pounds. So that was my fish story on that. We love to tell fish stories. Well, today we're going to look at the, the greatest fish story ever told. As we look at Gone Fishing, we're going to read just a little bit about it. I, I, I want to talk for a minute about, about using video clips and uh, the, the Chosen. Um. This will be a lesson in exegesis, um, how to interpret Scripture. Um, the Chosen is a uh, theatrical production based on what's called the harmony of the Gospels. The harmony of the Gospels. Basically, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four, uh, four books of the Bible that talk about Jesus' life, and there are four different perspectives. And it's like, how do we make sense of this? Because they all tell it a little bit different, a little bit emphasis or whatever. And that's part of understanding what's called the harmony of the Gospels. There are small differences because there were different authors writing about that. Different experiences. Um, And so, basically, the chosen is taking a conglomeration of that and putting it in a theatrical format. Um, Now, if you're uncomfortable with that, um, we have to look at the... Um, the different language translations we believe what's called in the inerrancy of scripture in the original autographs in other words there were there were original hebrew and greek scriptures that are inerrant that were dictated by god and, and we have those as originals and and most of our bibles are very close to the originals there were language translations from the septuagint and there were hebrew and greek translations then we got to the King James, which was the most sacred of all texts. Um, we had the New American Standard and then the New International Version. And that we always look back at the original text. That's why when you go to seminary, you study Greek and Hebrew. So you can compare and make sure that we're looking at the right translation. I remember in, when I was young, some of you remember when Good News for Modern Man came out. Uh, the Billy Graham Association pushed this because it was in language that changed some of the words and it was a little more understandable. Then there's the Living Bible. Then the Message by Eugene Peterson. And if you really look hard, you'll find the Ragamuffin Gospel. If you've never read that, it's a pretty interesting book. All of them, are their goal is to, is to take the, the Word of God and communicate it in a way that people can understand, in language they can understand, still staying true to the message that's in the original Greek and Hebrew texts. It's very important that we do that. Um, and, and basically, the goal of, of changing some of the language was to help the relevancy. Now, a theat- in a theatrical production, um, there's some liberty for communication, for relevance and insight, etc., the, the Chosen, as a series, and those of you that are, are streaming it or watching it or have seen it, The Chosen is a st- it's about the story of the life of Jesus. And it's not inerrant, okay? It's interpretive. But what it does for me, and I don't know if you've done this, this is why we use these, is it puts us in that context and, and helps it come alive. Some people, they can read the Bible in the King James and it is way alive and they really other people it's like boy that's kind of complicated I don't know but when we watch it on screen it it tends to come it helps us put put us into the story and that's why we're doing clips from the chosen to help us navigate that some of you will love it some of you will say well I'd just rather read it well that's, that's up to you but we're we're doing a few of those clips today's today's text that we're looking at is about fishing. We are getting back to fishing. Um, and it's the fish story in, in uh, Luke 5, Luke, the fifth chapter. Now, I'm just going to read the first four verses, and then we're going to watch a video clip. Uh, Luke 5, first four verses, it's on page um, 835, if you want to follow along in the Bible in the rack. Uh, and it's Luke 5, starting with verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genasaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Let's, Let's watch this story.
1: Pull up. Sometimes the sea bests all of us. It's not your night. him excuse me that's him simon. that's him no time for this andrew it's him simon it's the man john said he's here right now this man is the messiah put that down for a catch a little farther out uh, i don't have a quarrel with you teacher but we've been doing this all night brother and a baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe, but my faith, how sorry. <laughs> Lift up your head, fisherman. Follow me. As well. Yes, you, James and John. Come, follow me. So, you sure you don't wanna do this just a few more times? Well, we'll make a great team on the boat. Simon. Huh? Joke. <laughs> Fish are nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. From now on, I will make you fishers of men. And you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later. Eden. We need to talk. So I hear. I worked for hours last night, and I couldn't even catch one fish the entire night. And then Andrew and the boys showed up. Thank you for that, by the way. And none of us could catch one fish the entire night. It was horrible. And this morning, we finally gave up, and we went ashore. But there was this teacher on shore. The the teacher? Uh, Andrew told me, but I didn't believe him at first. He's the messiah. I know it sounds impossible, but I, I saw it with my own eyes. He made boatfuls of fish appear out of nowhere, and the words he spoke, the one John told Andrew was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was him, and then, and then he called me to follow him, and Andrew, James, and John, to go where he goes and, and to learn from him, and he said that I wouldn't be a fisherman anymore, but that I would catch people instead. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure what I saw, he's the one we've been waiting for all our lives, and... I wanna quit fishing and leave the sea behind to go. I know, I know, I know it makes no sense and I knew it would make you upset. All I can tell you is that this is...
0: easy
1: (laughs) it's not our people's way (laughs) pull up
0: sometimes we take it for granted how they just left everything and followed Jesus this for, for me personally helps give it perspective. This passage talks about Jesus being as a Lake Gennaster, or what's called it Sea of Galilee, and in the setting, there were people with great needs. There was a lot of curiosity. Some were hurting. Some were hungry. It says that people were so eager that they were crowding around Jesus, listening to the word of God. These people, for the first time, heard what they sensed deep within, were the words from God himself. And the crowd was pushing and straining and finally Jesus was probably at the water's edge at this point. He spotted two boats that were empty the fishermen washing their nets for the next fishing trip. After each fishing trip, the equipment had to be checked and cleaned for the next day. And Jesus got into one of the boats, Simon Peters, and asked him to put out a ways. That happened prior to this clip. Then he sat down and kept teaching. And then Jesus wants to go fishing. wants to go fishing. And the question is, what do we learn about Jesus, about God, from this fishing story? Fishing lessons. Fishing lessons. Seven lessons from this great fish story. The number one lesson, number one, is Jesus goes where the people are. Jesus goes where the people are. In other words, he fishes where the fish are. Most of the teachers in his day went to the synagogues and they went to the church sanctuaries, religious places of worship to teach. And Jesus did teach there, but he also went where the people were, the the common everyday people. Jesus just did everything outside the box, outside the box. And of course, we think today, we think that people need to come to church to meet God. And some will come and they will meet God At church, many will not. The founder of the Wesleyan Church denomination, his name is John Wesley. Thus, Wesleyans we call Wesleyans. And he did something similar in the seventeen hundreds. The poor and the common folk could not go to hear from God to the cathedrals. Churches were reserved for the upper class, and so unless you were at a certain class level. You couldn't go into the cathedrals and, and hear about God or worship God or hear from the word of God. So John Wesley went to the people. He went to the people. He did what was called field preaching. It's an interesting, interesting concept. Field preaching. He went out. It was, it was different. It was outside the box of his day. The established Church of England, which John Wesley was part of, said you can't do that. Teaching and preaching has to be done in our church buildings. So, and, and, of course, always the church building has been the center, we think, of what God wants to do. John Wesley said, I'm going to go out there where the people are. He went where the fish were, like Jesus went where the fish were. He'd go out in the country into the fields. They, he did that geographically. They also did it culturally. John and his brother Charles went to the people to meet them on their cultural ground culturally, Charles Wesley met people where they were by writing and doing music from the popular culture. The popular culture. He took common pop tunes and most of these tunes were sung where they did music in the the pubs or in the bars. Bar tunes. Whatever they were. And he took those tunes and he put lyrics to it so they could understand the gospel. Now, We know them as great old hymns and we think of them as always being hymns. But they started out quite different. Charles Wesley redeemed those tunes and those chord structures and he put lyrics to it that would change lives. Now we do that some today too, as as you know. He knew the language of the people, the music of the people. He went to where the people were. God calls us to go where the people are. We have to ask the question, where are the people? Yeah, we come to church and we meet with people and we fellowship. We do a lot of great things and we bring bring people to meet Jesus at church. But geographically, where are most of the people? Where are most of the people that that need Jesus? Where are they? They're at work in our neighborhoods, or in school, they might be in the gym. I seem to have more significant conversations with people at the gym than any other place culturally our language our music our beliefs our values people have incredible needs Jesus saw that John Wesley and Charles Wesley saw that they're spiritually hungry and thirsty they're spiritually seeking and we are called to meet them where they are where they live go where people are that's the first fishing lesson second one is Jesus challenges our logic. Jesus challenges our logic. He says to Peter, hey, let's go fishing. (laughs) Let's go fishing. Peter was the expert. Peter had fished his entire life. He knew that the best time for fishing was at night. At night. The absolute worst time for fishing was this time of the morning when the sun was glistening off the water and scared fish. Everybody knew that. Everybody knew that. But Jesus, well, Jesus was a carpenter. What did he know about fishing? You know, it's kind of, I can imagine the wheels turning in his mind. He, he's a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I know better. Besides, I just fished all night and didn't catch anything. Peter was willing to let Jesus use his boat for a pulpit to preach, but he didn't want to use have him use it for fishing. So he protests. The implication is, Jesus, you know about preaching. I know about fishing. Have you ever had an argument with Jesus like that? Does God ever challenge your logic? Has He ever asked you to do something illogical? And we say, God, you're up there. I'm down here. I really know what needs to be done. You're, you're far removed. You have the whole universe to worry about. I'm dealing with my world. You want me to do what? And then we have a discussion. And I don't care what the Bible says. I'm supposed to love my enemies and pray for my persecutors. doesn't make sense. I, I know you want me to deny myself, but I really don't want to. You want me to stay in this marriage, but aren't I supposed to be happy? You want me to give at least a tithe or 10% of my income to the church. Do you know how much that is? By the way, we can do more with the 90 percent of our income, with God's blessing, than 100 percent without God's blessing. And we say to God, "It it doesn't make sense. It defies logic." Jesus challenges, challenges our logic. I shared this story once before. There was a couple who owned a restaurant in a suburb north of Seattle, a place called Smoky Point they were open seven days a week and they were just working like crazy just to keep just to keep even with their work just doing okay and God spoke to them they were great Christian believers and God spoke to them and, and said I want you to honor me I want you to honor me first and take a Sabbath I want, we want, you, I want you to close on Sundays and they objected they said God's Sunday is the busiest day of the week we could never make it if we are closed on Sundays. It does not make sense. God challenged their logic. And it didn't. It didn't make sense. As they shared the story, they said, we argued for six months. <laughs> Fighting with God. And finally they relented and said, okay, okay, we'll do it. So they closed on Sundays and opened six days a week. Didn't make sense. It defied logic. They immediately saw a significant increase in the restaurant business that now exceeded in six days what they took in in seven. Their story. They said it didn't make sense. It was illogical. How could that happen? He challenged their logic. Now it wasn't too long afterwards they told me that God spoke to to them again and said you know you've got kids. And they have activities on Saturdays and you're missing a lot of them, and so I want you to close on Saturdays, too. It was interesting, as they told me, they said this time they obeyed God almost immediately, trusting him, even though it wasn't logical. It did not make sense. And the amazing story they shared with me, now their Monday through Friday restaurant business opened five days, exceeded by far the business that they had been open in six days and seven days. Doesn't make sense. God said, I want you to do this. He challenges our logic. What makes sense to us? God challenges. Sometimes we say, God, your timing's off. Night fishing is better than the morning fishing. God's timing. I never seem to be ready, God, when the next challenge comes. Your your timing's off. We think our walk with God is all common sense and intellect. And there is common sense and there is intellect in our walk with God. We use our brains. He gave us brains. But when it comes to some things, it's different. So Jesus challenges Peter's logic. And he will challenge yours. Number three, third lesson. Jesus moves us beyond failure and doubt. Jesus moves us beyond failure and doubt. The whole tone of Peter's reply to Jesus, let's go fishing, is doubt and failure. He said, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. In other words, I spent this whole day and I failed. It was failure. Now, how do you feel when you've stayed up all night and failed? How do you feel in the morning? Tired, frustrated, fatigued? There's a loss of enthusiasm, loss of confidence. And doubt. Peter said, you don't know where I've been. You don't understand how I feel. You ever say that to God? Failure. Failure produces doubt in our abilities, doubt about God, doubt about life in general. Failure. How do we deal? How do we deal with failure? Over 150 years ago, there's a man who lived, who seemed like a, a born loser, a failure, total failure. He was ugly, he was awkward, he was poor. He lost his mother when he was a young boy. As a young man, he ran for public office and he lost. He started a business, and because of an incompetent business partner, his business collapsed, leaving him nothing but debts. He tried politics again, but lost not once, but twice. He was engaged to be married, and just before his wedding, his fiancée died. Bad luck, loser, I guess. Failure after failure. So what did God do with this failure? Who was this guy? He actually became one of the greatest leaders this nation has ever known. His name? Abraham Lincoln. Raised above failures. You know, we all experience failure. Whether it's a failed relationship, What we perceive as a failure of parenting, failure of business, failed health, a failed job. Jesus wants to move us beyond failure and doubt. And in spite of Peter's failure, to his credit, Jesus challenging his logic, Peter then obeys and says, Because you say so. Because you say so. How many of us would drop our teeth if our children said to us, Because you say so. I'll do (laughs) one of those things because you say so obedience the fourth lesson obedience to Jesus brings supernatural results supernatural results come from obedience I've tried and failed but because you say so I'll try it your way and after Peter's own efforts are fruitless resultless Jesus steps in and gives a command and Peter obeys wow what results? So many fish, the nets begin to break. I love that picture because I've read that passage many times. I see it in a whole new way <laughs> at this point in time. The portrayal of that. So many fish, they both, both boats nearly sink of. a miracle. When we obey God and submit to God, quit trying to do it on our own. God pours out his blessings more than we can ever imagine. This is an obvious supernatural miracle. An intervention by the living God. This could not be explained by regular fishing techniques. See, God is waiting for us to obey so that he can pour out his blessings in our lives. He can pour out his blessings in our lives. When I was 18 years old and knew everything, how many of you knew everything at 18? Good, I'm in good company. I was 18 years old and I knew everything. I was a, a hotshot lead trumpet player. I discovered very early that trumpet was a great attention getter. You play loud, you play high, and everybody notices. I, I was the guy that, that, that stood on the basketball court and played the national anthem as a trumpet solo. And it was just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Everybody's watching me. Everybody's hearing me great attention gatherer. I enjoyed the attention the ad, adulation the, and egotry, everything that went with it and then one day God said to me I was in college God said I want you to give me your trumpet and I said no <laughs> no I, I enjoy what I'm doing I like doing this on my own we had a battle and as always you know what happens when you fight God God eventually wins. One day I found myself kneeling beside a bed in a Dallas hotel room, my trumpet laying on this makeshift altar. And I said, okay, God, take it, it's yours. From now on, every note that comes out of this trumpet is for your glory your attention, not mine. Use this trumpet to point people to Jesus, not me. Well, incredibly, God was just waiting for me to obey. He wanted me to obey. Then he poured out blessings, giving life-changing opportunities to travel for nearly three years total using my trumpet to point people to Jesus beyond my imagination I had no idea God moved me from a Grand Forks, North Dakota to travel with a group from Mobile, Alabama that's, that's, that's a miraculous story I'll tell you in another time it was, it was ridiculous how that happened obedience to Jesus brings supernatural results Everything in my life since then. Everything. I'm talking every step in my life since that moment in that hotel room in Dallas, Texas. My ministry, my marriage, lifelong relationships, all can be traced back to and came out of that one moment of surrender in that hotel room in Dallas, Texas. I gave it, finally. Is there anything that you're holding back today? What part of your life are you reluctant to turn over to God? When we turn it over to God in obedience, he fills our net more than we can imagine or even think. Obedience to Jesus. Peter discovered it. Many of you have discovered it. Obedience to Jesus brings supernatural results. Lesson five. Jesus' works show who he is and who we are, who he is, and who we are. In verse eight, we see a turning point in Peter's life. He moves from extreme self-confidence, and if you've watched the first part, first part of the chosen, you see this character Peter, who is the supreme self-confident, self-assured, manipulative. He's, just, he's quite a character. He moves to humiliation. How did that happen? What Jesus did was so dramatic, they were astonished and blown away. These guys, he and his partners, had fished their whole lives and never seen anything like this before. It's going to be the greatest fishing story of all times. And they recognized that this was something only God could have done. Recognizing only God could have done this. In my life, only God could have done that. In the life of the restaurant owner. Only God could have done. Recognizing the hand of God. So Peter fell at Jesus' feet. Fell at Jesus' feet. Peter recognized who Jesus really was. And contrasted that with what he was. And his only response was to fall down. In worship. When we see God as he truly is. And see ourselves as we truly are. The only response that we can give is I can't believe that you would take time to be with me, love me, relate to me. I can't believe that you, God, would bother, bother with me, that you would take notice of me. God knows how humans are. And when we realize who God is and who humans are, we can only do one thing. Worship. 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 we can also move into something called fear. Fear. See, feared God. Fear of God is not a bad thing as it is a fear of awe and wonder and worship. Fear of this almighty, powerful God was not a negative fear. It was a positive respect, healthy fear. And lesson six with Jesus, we need not fear. We need not fear. Jesus says do not be afraid, do not fear, or stop being fearful. That's different from don't get scared. This is, we're already fearful, and he says, stop it. Okay? All throughout the Bible, whether it was the angel telling the shepherds, or Jesus telling Peter, quit being fearful. Stop being afraid. Calming an existing fear. I'm sure Peter was afraid where all this was going or heading. I don't know if you have been afraid to give up control of God, afraid of where it's going to lead you. Just like I was. I don't want to give up my trumpet. I don't want to give this. No, I'm hanging on to this. Afraid to give up control to God. Afraid of where he's going to lead you. We all want control, some more than others. But coming to Jesus means giving up control of our lives to his leadership. Giving up control It requires faith and trust. And for most of us, there's that one-time occurrence of a decision at a point in time that you remember, you can recall, to accept God's leadership and control of our lives. That's when you were converted and said, Jesus, I'm going to give my life to you. But then there's the daily struggle needing to be renewed every day. when we like to take control back again, all of us. I'm taking control again. Nope. Struggle. Trust God. Let go. Give Him control. Stop being afraid. And finally, number seven, follow Jesus and you will catch people. Follow Jesus and you will catch people. The favorite part of that video that we just saw was that Peter's talking to his wife. And he quotes this and said, he said, I'm going to catch people. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) What does it mean? I I don't know. He had no clue. These followers, the chosen of Jesus, followed him not knowing what he was calling him to yet. That's, That's incredible faith. But he says, if you follow me, you will catch people. Simon Peter and the rest of these followers are about to embark on the most exciting journey imaginable that was going to change the entire planet. They left everything and followed Jesus. They spent the rest of their lives catching people. Now the word catch, the catch is from the Greek word zagreo, which means to catch alive. Catch alive. It's not like catching fish to kill and eat. It means to catch alive. Catch alive. So we're gonna go out and catch people alive. The second dimension of this word catch is it's in the future linear action, which means it's an ongoing action. It says you will catch people and you will keep on catching people. All of that's in that one word. You will catch people alive and you will keep catching people. It's an ongoing action. It's a lifestyle. It's a total change in their lives. A permanent lifestyle. Follow Jesus, catch people. It's a description of how we share the good news of Jesus Christ. And people are captured by the message of love and hope that comes with Jesus. Not entrapped, but set free. Bruce Larson writes, while there are an infinite variety of things we are called from, we are all called to the same thing. We are called to go out and take people alive. So where are you today? Maybe you are here and for the first time realize who Jesus is and want to join Peter in worshiping him and submitting to his leadership. You can do that. Maybe you're here this morning you realize for the first time you've been trying to do everything on your own or hanging on to your place. And Jesus is calling you to give it up and follow Him. Jesus is more important than anything in our lives. Job, career, family, possessions. And your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to catch people Let's go fishing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you showed the humanity of these disciples that it was not easy. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be able to identify with and understand the challenge of fishing and catching people. Give us a passion, Lord, first to follow you and then to catch people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand, children.